In this episode, we sit down with Jeff Kaplan of Venture Asheville and Just Kibitz. We talk about entrepreneurship and business strategy. Let's start with a soundbite from Jeff. Yeah, actually, let me, can, I, can I take a, a big step back and of do course. a really um, short version of why Venture Asheville is and why, like why, why we exist from economic development strategy? Please. So economic development is classically site selection. How do we recruit that big factory to our community, right? So that's when you – automotive ones are really simple to talk about. So you got Volkswagen out in Chattanooga. We've got BMW down in Greenville. And when you land a major factory like that, that creates a certain amount of jobs, hundreds of thousands of jobs, just because you got to staff the factory. But they have a trickle effect where they create um, services that serve the factory or vendors like OEMs to serve this. So it just, it just keep, keeps multiplying when you have a major anchor like that. So that's what every community does. So that's like site selection. And then the next step of that is business retention or expansion. So they want to expand the plant, add a new product line. Someone has to coordinate that, and those usually have some type of incentive from the local government. So that's a real import strategy. And also, that also means you need workforce development pipelines. But what about growing our own, mm -hmm. right? So how do you create the next generation of headquartered businesses here? It's not enough to just say, we're going to keep bringing businesses into our community, but what's happening here that we can you know, support or pour resources into to create the next big thing? And that's why Venture Asheville exists. It's a holistic approach to economic development where we focus on new venture creation. We want to create the next generation of Asheville headquartered businesses. Welcome to Making It in Asheville, a podcast where you get to hear the stories behind some of your favorite artists and businesses here in town. Each week, we interview a different local Ashevillian, and we work to uncover how they're making it in Asheville, their story, and actionable insights from each conversation. And we are your hosts. I'm Tony, and that was Sarah, and we are a husband and wife team that moved to Asheville in May of 2019. Uh, for the last year, we've made it our sole purpose is to try and figure out how people are making it in Asheville. Uh, the way that we've done it is by sitting down with them and having long, meaningful conversations about their work and their life, uh, and we've recorded it all in this podcast. Uh, we are thankful to be able to do this, provide this for free to the community, uh, and also learn through the process. But in season four, we are excited to announce that we have a sponsor that has helped us make this even better, and that sponsor is Range Urgent Care. Range is a, a local walk-in clinic here in town. Um, they're founded by a husband and wife team, and what they really specialize in is simplified healthcare experience. So um, they offer things like virtual visits and super transparent pricing so that you know what you're going to pay before you experience the visit, um, and so many, so many other things. Um, you can also have a subscription through Range Urgent Care and pay monthly. Um, and when you book through us, uh, you're going to get your first month free. So visit makingitinashville.com forward slash range to learn all more about all of their services and how to get your first month free. I love that. And just to double underline, their membership process, I think, is fantastic. It's uh, less cost over the 
course of a year a subscription and they have flexible membership concepts so i have the individual you could have a business plan a family plan uh, you can learn out or learn all about those again on making it in Asheville forward slash range and you can use making it in Asheville.com forward slash range i love to leave the dot com <laughs> out i just assume there's an assumed you know thing there and so uh forward slash range or use making it in Asheville as your coupon code if you go to range directly awesome so episode 54 with jeff kaplan was uh it honestly i think it was a slightly different take on jeff kaplan than we're used to so if you don't know jeff kaplan yet uh we are pleased to introduce him to you he is perhaps one of the most connected people in Asheville that we're aware of in terms of the business community here. Uh, he is the pr program coordinator, I'll say, for He's Venture. He's the director of Venture, Venture Asheville. Perfect. Mm -hmm. When Venture Asheville is, um, for those of you who don't know, we'll talk more about it in the episode, but they are part of the Asheville Chamber of Commerce. Um, and specifically, they deal with new startup businesses that are high growth. Um, they have all sorts of programs from funding to education, mentorship, and so much more. And we're pretty excited. I mean, there's the conversation is is wide. We talk about a number of things like Venture Asheville and the couple or multiple ways that they are um, providing value to this community. We also talk about how Jeff Kaplan uh, has been an entrepreneur beyond just being a supporter of entrepreneurs. He's sold a business. He's growing a business now. Um, but the thing that I'm, that I, I'm so excited about because our platform exists is the um, the impact micro loan program. So if you haven't heard of this yet, uh, it's this, I believe the second year that Asheville, uh, Venture Asheville is running this program. It is a crowdsourced, historically crowdsourced uh, $25,000 investment fund that they place five investments of $5,000 into a like pre, like the business doesn't exist yet. So if you have a business idea, and you need money to get it started, we would highly recommend that you listen to this podcast episode and listen to the the way to get in, involved in the uh, impact fund. Yeah, so Jeff tells us a lot more about all of Venture Asheville's initiative, including funding, as well as some of the studies that he's done on entrepreneurship. So he's he's been studying entrepreneurship since college. He graduated with essentially a degree in entrepreneurship. Um, and he shares with us some of these characteristics that he's identified that he thinks are what makes uh, our entrepreneurs successful. Um, so I thought that part was particularly interesting. Uh, but without further ado, Let's get into it. Episode 54 with Jeff Kaplan. Please enjoy. Hello and welcome. Please tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, I'm Jeffrey Kaplan. I'm the director of Venture Asheville, part of the Economic Development Coalition and Asheville Area Chamber of Commerce. Also, the number one chamber in the world, or I guess the U.S. We just won that award last July. Whoa! Wait, and, really? Uh, you guys didn't know that? Yeah, yeah. The chamber is the number one chamber. We won number one chamber in the Carolinas uh, two years ago, and then last year we won uh, number one chamber in the United States. <laughs> How? Maybe North America. It might be. It might include Canada. That's that, that seems amazing to me. I did how not is that, know that. How was that judge? Like, how do they choose the number one chamber? It's super competitive. It's a long uh, application. It's scored by other chambers, 
And then it's three days of interviews at the annual conference for CACCE, I believe, or ACCE is the accrediting body there. Wow. Um, and yeah, we won last year. So, so I like to throw that out there. Like, not only is it a chamber, it is the best chamber. Cool. Not an opinion, a fact. That is a peer-reviewed <laughs> best chamber in America. It's also by market size. So we're in like the middle tier market, MSA market size. I, I'm sorry. I think that we're going to lead with that because that is um, for as much as publicity as I like. I see you. You are the quintessential hype man. So people will hopefully have given you some context in the intro to this podcast. But um, for as much as I know about businesses in Asheville, thanks to the good work that you and the quarter other person on your team do at the chamber, I feel like I should know that we have the greatest chamber in potentially all of the Americas, but definitely North America, if not the U.S. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a great fact. We celebrated it pretty heavily with our board. Um, I mentioned it. I went to City Council for Asheville Entrepreneurship Week, and I got to make that comment. The same joke. That's not an opinion. It's a fact. Yeah. Um, Deborah Campbell like nodded along. I was like, yeah, she knows it. People know. Um, if you walk into the chamber, there's a pretty large like, ward right up front. You go in, so look cool. to the right. The next time you walk in there, you'll see it. Wow. Cool. So we, uh, we look, we look forward to that. I, um, uh, so we typically will say like, what's happening now? So we've won the greatest chamber of commerce in the United States. Not an opinion. It's a fact. Um, when did that come out? And, you know, we're clearly in a funny time. This is, mm. uh, May 1st of 2020, but like what's happening in the chamber today now that we are, uh, the best in the country, what's happening? Yeah, so it's been a pretty pretty fascinating last, gosh, almost 60 days mm -hmm. of watching the coronavirus creeping across the country before. I remember it was, I got back from the startup road trip March 12th, and then March 13th, we were told to go home and don't come back to the office. So what's been happening is taking care of members in one, thing, one way, and we do the same thing at Venture Asheville. So we're a program of the chamber. We focus on startups, new ventures, and specifically high growth type companies. Um, whereas a chamber could be any kind of business member, small business, big business, you can just be a member of the chamber. Uh, but we're doing the same kind of thing where the first probably couple weeks, it was um, checking in and triage. Most of our questions and most of the, the stuff we're working through was uh, things like cash flow, payroll, furloughs versus layoffs, just walking our, um, we call them founders or business owners, CEOs through all the, the myriad of challenges that were happening so quickly. And then the, the chamber really stepped up in a great way for our community as a leader in communication. They created a, a dedicated web page. Tons of traffic is being dedicated there, sent there. And it's this uh, compendium of knowledge of everything you need to know about what's happening in the crisis, whether it's funding, policy, HR, government, um, things to do with your members. We were changing our fee structures and we're you know, postponing dues, but also connecting people to PPP loans or EIDLs. We were holding town halls and webinars with the SBA or other lenders. Um, they just did a series of uh, industry-specific town halls with the county, hosted for the county on reopening. So wow. they're not saying when it's going to happen or what it's going to be. But it was a chance to listen to folks, for example, in retail or manufacturing or, or 
child and adult care, daycare facilities, um, kind of they're, they're the one chance for input. And so the chamber, uh, a common theme for chambers is to be a conduit or to be a convener. Um, and and the, our chamber, I think, has really stepped up into the mission and it's done a great job um, being really fast to respond in appropriate ways when it comes to getting the right people at the, at the table. Yeah. So for a lot of, for right now, a lot of it's been government, public health officials, and businesses. Wow. And so let's back up a little bit because I think we, we jumped right into everything with the chamber and then everything that's going on right now with the coronavirus. Um, but how did you get here? How did you get to Asheville yeah. and how did you become part of Vendor Asheville? Yeah, it's all my wife's doing. My wife, Danielle, who, like Sarah, grew up in Roswell, Georgia, outside of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and so my wife in best the summer was a kid. Sorry, I think Roswell is like yeah, one right? of the best yeah. little towns in the country. Speaking of chambers, I, they should be up for best little town. Maybe not the best uh, chamber, but best little town. Sorry. Best little town. Yeah, Ro- I haven't been to Roswell in years. I've only visited once or twice. It's um, And apparently it's got a whole new downtown. We're excited yeah. for Roswell. Oh, yeah. Uh, not not uh, where the so aliens came. There. Sorry, not where the aliens <laughs> came. This is no, different Roswell. Different Roswell. I think that was the first thing when I, when I met my wife was at a frat party in Gainesville, University of Florida. And um, I was like, where are you from? She said, Roswell. And I started laughing. Like, New Mexico? She's like, no, Georgia. You idiot. Like, no. How do you not know that? Like, I don't know. I never heard of it before. I'm sorry. He should have said Atlanta. Um, <laughs> it's a suburb of Atlanta. So she grew up every summer coming here. Uh, her brother was in the Duke tip program at App State. So what they would do as a whole family, they would come up to this area, drop them off in Boone, uh, and then spend you know, a week or two you know, hanging out all across um, Brevard and Asheville and Hendersonville and this whole area. And she just knew after she graduated school and was going to the workforce that she wanted to move to Asheville. I'm from South Florida. I'm from Miami. <clears throat> and uh, I-, I was happy to move anywhere. I- my my degree is in entrepreneurship. I have a master's in it from Florida. My wife's a veterinarian. So her, her job mobility is the complete opposite of mine. Right? She needs to find an animal hospital, you know, get committed, buy in, and then not leave. Right. Like that's like a mode on me physically or, or monetarily buying in, but like, you know, you wanna you wanna find an animal hospital and be at for a long time, you wanna build a great clientele, you wanna uh, be committed to a place. Whereas <clears throat> my degree in entrepreneurship working in startups and websites and building apps and all this kind of stuff. I, I was happy to go anywhere. And I knew coming here that it's a um, supposedly the reputation of a really tough job market. And I knew that I would, I would, as long as I was with people who loved what they did, I was going to be happy. I worked in jobs where people are miserable and how it's a toxic work environment. And I was just, I didn't care what I did. If I was selling vacuum cleaners or doing a call center, didn't care. If people were going to be happy and like working together, I knew I, I would enjoy working here. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so I moved here and I met John Jones with Anthroware uh, at Talent Jam, which was a, a great event where you get up there and you pitch for a minute if you need a job, or you get up and pitch for a minute if you have a job, you're willing to it's cool. a swap. Uh, met John, interviewed with him, and then took a job at Anthroware as a product owner and consultant. What I loved about working at Anthroware is that my first interview, I toured the Hatch Building with John. John's also the founder of this nonprofit called Hatch AVL. And I saw all this potential in Hatch to be, for our community, what the American Underground is in, in the Triangle in Durham or what the National Entrepreneurship Center is 
We saw all the makings of this building, of these co-locating companies, a co-working space, a coffee shop. It was all coming together. And I really, really want to be in that scene. That's what my graduate degree is in Florida in entrepreneurship. Hmm. Um, I should probably take a second to say that I got my master's degree, and then I started working for the college. I was a head teaching assistant, wow. graduate assistant, and then I ended up um, teaching one of the courses when a professor went on sabbatical. And uh, when he came back, I led the Disabled Veterans Program and our Women's Entrepreneurship Program, our student incubators. Anything happening in this world of entrepreneurship, I, I was just like, let me add it. I want to be a part of it. Um, so moving here, I knew that eventually I wanted my career to get back into that world. I, I get just this, this entrepreneurship ecosystem development um, and, and being in Hatch with, with John at Anthroware seemed like a great foot in the door. And the work at Anthroware was phenomenal. The custom software development they did, the product development methodology, the design thinking, using software is, is so cool. Um, but I was so excited to be there in Hatch. And as Hatch developed and started more programs and events, I was leading a lot of those events uh, as a volunteer and putting things together. Next thing you know, I've, I've kind of like immersed in this ecosystem, built a great network, and then the job at Venture Asheville opened up. And um, yeah, I left that. I was really excited for the opportunity to apply. Uh, and I got to know Josh Dorfman, my predecessor, really well. I actually met Josh and was talking to Josh for two or three years before I ever moved here wow. because uh, I wanted to know, like, you know, is there a place for someone like me to come to Asheville? Like, if we move here, my wife wants to be a veterinarian. Am I going to be able to find a job in tech, or can yeah. I build a? What are my options? Um, so venture, I, I when I took over Venture Asheville, the first newsletter I wrote was about like because Venture Asheville existed five six years ago, it made it possible for someone like me to move here. Without this resource and support for startups, you know, I, we probably would have stayed in Charlotte or gone to the Triangle or something mm -hmm. else. Yeah, Asheville did. Yeah. And it's much harder for both of us to find something to do, some worthwhile work. Yeah, I think that's like a big question that we obviously talk a lot about here at Making in Asheville is like, you know, if you move to Asheville, what are you going to do? Because everyone says, bring your own job, bring your own job and, or, you know, find a job before you come because it, it can be quite challenging. So that's really interesting. Um, do you remember the first time, because you talked a lot about how you were so interested in entrepreneurship, but do you remember the first time that you sort of fell in love with that or you realized like, oh, okay, this mm -hmm. is my thing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my first job out of college was as a middle school teacher. I really, really loved teaching. And something I forget to tell people is that I started off working with 11 and 12 year olds, um, which explains my personality, my spunk, if you will, and my, you know, that, that, that version of being on versus um, mm -hmm. being off, I guess. And I think a lot of it comes from teaching experience. Um, so that's why I got really involved in, in the becoming a teaching assistant and a graduate assistant, all that when I was at Florida and when the disabled veterans program started, I didn't really know what I was getting into, but, um, the, 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 our academic director was my mentor working on a study, independent study and became published later. So whatever he was working on, I just kind of got lumped into. So I started teaching with the disabled veterans program and my job was to teach the six week pre-course for establishing the entrepreneurial mindset in these um, mostly Iraq and Afghan uh, veterans or Afghan war veterans. We had a few from Vietnam or from Desert Storm, but it was, was a preference to these folks who'd come back from Iraq and Afghanistan. And the one who really affected me that really kind of got me to, to want to be so committed to this entrepreneurship development 
for entrepreneurial development is this guy Benito. Benito was in, I think he's a, a Marine in the, the canine unit. So if you could imagine what these guys do, but anyway, he's training, he's training dogs and, you know, like, like Malinois and German Shepherds. And what he would do is he would actually go into combat and, and you know, walk in the streets and patrols. He would even fast line out of a helicopter wow. with the dogs in a harness. You ever see, like, you've, seen, you've seen like the movies where the guys in the helicopter and they shoot down the rope. Imagine doing that with a dog. Oh, no, I can't. Right, like when your harness attached to you. So he's doing this. And it's unbelievable. Uh, and he got injured when an IED blew up. It was, I'm pretty sure it was a wreck. Um, and the side, the facade of a building fell onto the street and it covered him and the dog and you know, a couple of the guys too. So what's crazier about the story is he's okay. Or he, you know, he was injured. He went to rehab. He and the dog went to rehab and he and the dog were both redeployed back to Iraq and went back into combat. And so, I mean, his story is amazing, right? This guy, Benito, means an absolute like hero and true warrior. And then he comes back to America and that's all he's ever done is do dog training. He's mm-hmm. done dog training. And so he opens up, I think it's um, Patriot Dog Training in Arizona. And seeing him go through our program with, with just knowing how to be a dog trainer, to learn how to be an entrepreneur and how to build a business and how to resource, uh, leverage resources and be creative and solve problems in a new way, to then go back to Arizona and start this business was great. Like To see him on that journey, it's very fulfilling. It's like teaching. It's very rewarding to see your students um, progress and have mastery. And I, and I followed his journey for a long time, and I saw, wow, he's, he's actually hiring people now. And I see he's got this, like, sweet new truck. And he's got, oh, man, he's got a second location. And you're looking at all his employees and all his social media, and it's like the, the power of entrepreneurship is, to me, it's about upper mobility. It's about this guy who had a vision, who had a skill set, and with the skills to build a business to be entrepreneurial, he can lift himself up out of any situation he's in. And when he does well, it's suddenly not looking up just him and his family, but he's employing people and lifting up an entire community of people through entrepreneurial skills. And if you want, like talking about getting bit by the bug, like that's why like, I love this work and why it's so much fun. I tell people I have the best job in Asheville because we get to do this every single day with all kinds of people. Uh, and, and, and I believe that this is, you know, we talk about it right now, critically, we're worried about our concentration in our economy, uh, in, in an industry that is at risk or potentially not sustainable. And, and the way out of this is going to be through more programs like the Civil Veterans Program or Elevate or, or, or even Scale-Ups, things like Mountain BizWorks, where we're going to teach people the skills to be completely self-resilient, self-supported, and create value, create money, create jobs. And, and that's how you uplift an entire community. So, yeah, as much as I love like being in, in the work and building apps and building software and, and, and you know going to market, the, the, taking a step back at the macro level to build our ecosystem I find even more rewarding. And what we've seen from you is that like your ability to connect dots in the community, connect us to resources, connect us to people um, has been exceptional. It seems like uh, that role as like a step back and assess where resources are, where people are and who needs to know who and how they can connect is a really good role for you. Um, and it's it's seems so interesting that you've, at least if I'm going to try and make the Spark Notes version of your story, it's like you've been a career entrepreneur facilitator, which is 
a relatively, I think, new concept. I, I can't imagine someone spending so much time in that like community building and resource allocation space. Does that seem special? Yeah, I think it's it's um, special. I guess is one word for it. I don't know if I would say I'm special, or it's a special skill set. I think it's more unique. Uh, it's, it's like we say, you know, eighty percent of the jobs in fifteen years aren't created yet. We, we know those kind of statistics. You know, ten years ago, if you said you wanted to be a content coordinator, a social media manager, people said that what, what that job doesn't exist. So, I, I would put this like ecosystem development professional. If we're seeing them in lots of different ways now. Um, yeah, it's probably a relatively newer job. Um, I don't think I'm answering that question well at all. No, I think, I mean, that, that, I think <laughs> okay. that's fine. And I think, um, uh, so I'll, I'll, we'll transition from, uh, Florida and the startup ecosystem there. How about in the last little while, like what kind of big wins or milestones have you experienced in the role through venture Asheville in Asheville? Um, and you take that however you want. So really, we focus so much on metrics at Venture Asheville, and it's probably something I'd like to see more ecosystem groups like ours do because the proof's in the pudding. So uh, we focus on about nine different metrics, and the ones we report most are three, jobs, revenue, and investment. It's a really easy way to see how does your ecosystem compare to other ecosystems. So I was at Dig South, which is this conference in Charleston, and everyone's like, oh, you're from Asheville. What do they do there? I thought it's just breweries. What startups are there? It's like, well, actually, let me tell you about the Venture 15. The Venture 15 is this grand event where we rate and rank the 15 fastest growing startups in our area and by compounding annual growth rates and measure their jobs and impact and blah, blah, blah. Um, and it just goes over people's heads. It's like they totally – it's not like we can say um, – yeah, we have X amount of publicly traded companies, or we had 10 big exits last year. There's still a pretty small ecosystem, mm -hmm. right? When you consider we're an MSA of like a quarter million or a city of under 100,000, to know that there's about 500 people here employed by, uh, by startups, and that those startups um, last year, like the Venture 15, for example, that represented $45 million in local revenue. You know, it's, it's not a drop in the bucket. That's a significant part of our economy. Um, that in Elevate specifically, we've created 171 jobs. Wow. Now, you, you put that apples to apples with like a job announcement, which my colleagues at the EDC do frequently. You know, so NIPRO just announced, I think, 80 jobs and then an expansion, which is manufacturing in South Asheville. That's a great announcement. Uh, and that's also why Venture Asheville is part of this economic development strategy. You have site selection, business retention, expansion, and those have those big job announcements, but ours are smaller numbers but over time. So the same amount of effort that goes into an 80-person announcement, you know, we can put into 10 companies that hire eight people, right? Uh, it, it's about uh, the numbers and the jobs. Other, other impact, um, we, we get very granular. So we do an event, not an event, a program called the Asheville Startup Road Trip. Mm -hmm. We pack a van full of startup founders and we travel to different cities and we do pitch events. And last year that brought back $1.4 million. Wow. So when you look at that as a as a whole ecosystem, like what is $1.4 million of an MSA or, or our tourism minister brought $2 billion in last year, whatever that was. Um, it may not seem like a lot, but that $1.4 million created something like 10 jobs. 
right? It, it, and that money goes back in the community because now it's going to web developers and marketing companies and HR professionals and lawyers and accountants and all the professional services that go into running a business benefit from that money. What's great about the, the startup road trip is we're bringing money in from other communities into our startups. So wow. take money out of the triangle or from Atlanta or Chattanooga or Nashville and bring that into our our community, um, I think is more beneficial than, what, I've, heard, I've heard the phrase, uh, passing the same $10 bill around. You can only do that so many times in Nashville. Yeah. Right? It's like you're never going to grow the GDP of the community, but by bringing outside money into our community, we do grow it. Again, I feel like I'm just rambling. I'm not no, I, doing no. a good job <laughs> answering guys' questions. I think you're doing an, uh, an exceptional job, and I think that that is... Kind of um, the map. So the, the three things I heard is something of the Venture Asheville, uh, I would say, fit within the larger chamber of commerce and like the city's growth plan. So there's something about reten retention of big businesses. There's something about expansion of those businesses and trying to pull big ones in. And then there's the work that's being done in Venture Asheville, which is um, across more businesses, less per business, but it's it's great work. Mm -hmm. And how is it showing up? It's showing up by way of um, money invested and revenue generated and jobs created by those smaller businesses. So it's the the higher growth stuff. There's also, and we just saw it in an email, I wanna say that came out last week, the Asheville Impact micro grant, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. How does that, how does that mm -hmm. fit in the, in the hierarchy or in the relationships? Yeah, actually, let me, can I take a, a big step back and of do course, a really yeah. um, short version of why Venture Asheville is in, why, like why why we exist from economic development strategy? Please. So economic development is classically site selection. How do we recruit that big factory to our community, right? So that's when you, automotive ones are really simple to talk about. So you got Volkswagen out in Chattanooga, or you've got BMW down in Greenville. And when you land a major factory like that, that creates a certain amount of jobs, hundreds of thousands of jobs, just because you got to staff the factory. But they have a trickle effect where they create um, services that serve the factory or vendors like OEMs to serve the So it just, it just keep, keeps multiplying when you have a major anchor like that. So that's what every community does. So that's like site selection. And then the next step of that is business retention or expansion. So they want to expand the plant, add a new product line. Someone has to coordinate that. And those usually have some type of incentive from the local government. So that's a real import strategy. And also, that also means you workforce development pipelines. But what about growing our own, mm -hmm. right? So how do you create the next generation of headquartered businesses here? It's not enough to just say, we're going to keep bringing businesses into our community. But what's happening here that we can you know, support or pour resources into to create the next big thing? And that's why Venture Asheville exists. It's a holistic approach to economic development where we focus on new venture creation. We want to create the next generation of Asheville headquartered businesses. That was Makes my sense. sound. Better. That was yeah. clean. That was yeah. really clean. Right, so, okay, <laughs> with you now, tracking. And so, and the way that you do that practically is yeah. um, in some part by announcing winners. Three core initiatives. Perfect. Here we go. Three core initiatives at Venture Asheville. Mentorship, which is our Elevate program. We've had I think, nearly 100 companies go through it. One third of them will fail. One third will graduate and one third stay in. 
So like well-known names who have graduated are French broad chocolates. Right? They were in our program for something like two and a half years. It's not an incubator. It's not an accelerator. It's a long-term relationship you build with a team of mentors. And through our program, they went through fundraising, building their factory. At the grand opening was a was a graduation. It was a really really nice moment. Um, Moonlight Makers, who you guys have featured, is actually I'm actually one of their mentors. Honored to be one of their mentors. Um, they're in our program right now. You look at that program, right? It's it's the whole thing of uh, can we support these founders, connect them with the resources, make sure they have experts because we have an incredible amount of retired executives in our community that want to give back and they make fantastic mentors. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also do funding. So we manage the Asheville Angels. We do the Asheville Startup Road Trip. And a new one uh, from two years ago is the Asheville Impact Micro Grant. And then we have programs and events throughout the year like the Venture 15 or Asheville Entrepreneurship Week. And each of these is designed to address a gap in the ecosystem. So the reason we have the Asheville Impact Micro Grant is because we saw that it's, it's, um, it's hard to start a business, and it's really hard to start from zero. People who start businesses, you always hear, oh, yeah, we started with our personal savings, or I asked my friends and family to help me get off the ground. That, that means it's, you know, it takes money to make money, and you can't even start a business without 100 and something dollars for your LLC license in the state mm-hmm. of North Carolina. You have, to, you have to start somewhere. So we wanted to, to address that gap in the market, market. It's really an equity issue. Can you truly start a business from zero? And so that's where we create the Asheville Impact Micro Grant to create $5,000 grants for basically the idea stage companies. There's, there's really nothing out there. If you have an idea of who's going to give you money, nobody really should. So this is what this whole thing is about. And the way we raised the money was we did something really counterintuitive. Instead of going to a foundation or taking part of our budget or, you know, doing fundraising with the tiered campaign, we, were, we said we want to radically democratize the fundraising process and only allow folks to donate $200. That is the only level of, don- only level of donation. We have wow. one class of donor. That's it. So the, 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 the soundbite is a, it's a radically democratized community source microgram program. Always a little buzzword chain together. We did it last year, and we raised $25,000, which was 15000 more than we thought we were going to raise. You know, wow. We thought it would be great with like two grand school. We raised $25,000, and we gave it out to five companies at a big ceremony. It was a lot of fun. We're doing it this year, and we got to $7,000, and then everything stopped. It was March 13th, and everything went into lockdown and social distancing, and layoffs were being announced. And we couldn't, like, I did not have the heart to start fundraising or posting wacky, silly videos to get people to donate or doing funny newsletters. It just felt so tone deaf and off brand and insulting to, to try to ask people for money at this point. So we did something really antithetical to our mission, which was to be radically democratized, community sourced to uh, good or corporate partners. And the HCA Mission Innovation Fund came in with $10,000. First Horizon Bank Foundation came in with $5,000, and the NC Biotechnology Center came in with $3,000. And we got to $25,000. We just opened it on Friday. And uh, applications are coming in now, which is awesome. And I, I, I feel that uh, here's, here's one of my like fluffy things I think you're going to like, Tony. Um, like spring follows winter, new venture creation follows unemployment. Uh, we're, we're about to see twenty to twenty-five thousand people in our community probably unemployed. Yeah. I think I don't think that's an unreasonable estimate. 
and what are these people going to do? Some will be rehired, some won't, some are going to use this chance to take a leap. So given how how much pain is about to be in our, or is in our community, uh, I think we'll have a pretty competitive process on our microgram program. We'll give five companies $5,000, or five founders $5,000 to get off the ground and get going. And I, I think that entrepreneurs will lead our economic recovery. I think there are solutions, there are businesses, the opportunities they create for others will pull us out of the slump we're in. Uh, and we hope that this micro ramp program can fast track five of those. That's awesome. I want to uh, pull in. So we, we try to announce that we're having uh, conversations. I want to pull in a question from the, like the general uh, making it an Asheville audience. And you, you touched on it and the idea of like e equality and equity across the community and supporting um like a diverse founders group are there initiatives or 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 processes in place to help uh you know non-founders be founders like what what steps are being taken yeah. uh to make sure as many people know that this thing exists and we're so glad that we get to have you on to be a platform however small ours is but to share the story so that maybe someone that's listening goes i'm going to apply and this five thousand mm dollars -hmm. is is game changing yeah. Um, so, you know, again, we, we try to fill every gap we can see in the ecosystem. And uh, entrepreneurs got to have a foot in the door somewhere. There's got to be a way to enter the ecosystem. And One Million Cups is a great venue for that. So I get in and meet people. We do pitch parties once once a month, which is open mic night for entrepreneurs. You can get up and do a one-minute pitch about anything you want. And, and, th and this is also in that top of the funnel world, the, the actual impact micro grant. Um, last year, we had 99 applications. Uh, 50, uh, 50 came from female founders, 49 from male founders. Industry breakdowns, we saw about a quarter came from tech, 15 from uh, food and beverage, 10 in the leisure, rec recreation, uh, tourism, hospitality group, and then everything else is pretty small amounts. Uh, surprisingly to me, 8% uh, or 9% came from people of color. So our black and brown entrepreneurs were, were less than 10% of our applicants. And so we saw that we have, uh, like we're not doing a good enough job reaching out to other populations. We're, scared, we're seeing the same faces over and over again. So that means this year we already reached out to a whole bunch of different kinds of um, community organizers and nonprofits and just groups and Facebook activity of saying, look, we, we are giving away $5,000 for anybody who wants to start a business. And you just get, it's a selection process, of course, but, um, you know, we want to see uh, our winners represent our community, mm. and there's there's a there's a, um, a a mismatch here going on. So, what can we do to do that? And, and that's where it's been. we're leaning on partners heavily to help us spread the message. So, this community for sure, even if you yourself are not going to you know, directly your listeners, if you yourself aren't going to apply, I'm sure you know somebody who's thinking about starting a business. Just send them the link: ventureashwell.com/microgrant. Simple application process. Uh, it's just like, who are you? What's your business? How are you going to make money? Why is this scalable? In a one-minute video. That's it. Cool. Uh, and what kinds of things are you looking for? So, so in terms of the selection process, you know, let's say I want to apply. Uh, what mm -hmm. kind of businesses are you looking for? Is it just how well they tell their story and and uh, sort of their plan, or is there something else underlying it? So we don't expect you to be a master storyteller at the idea stage, right? It's going to take that process of finding product market fit and customer discovery. So 
It's called the Asheville Impact Microgram because we want to see how much impact $5,000 makes to a business. And one way to measure this is how do you turn $5,000 into $15,000 or $50,000? That's one way to measure it. Um, you know, one example last year was uh, Sarah Delaney from Three Mountains, team with tea. She makes a carbonated draft beverage uh, tea from Rwanda. And she used the grant to get samples sent to brokers and distributors. And she got into every fresh market in the nation, 160 stores all across the East Coast. Wow. Like that is an awesome example of how you, you know, you take a, a small investment to create multiplying effects. It's not about how well you tell your story. That's not important. important what's important is how much impact does $5,000 have for your business? And that's what we're going to measure applications against applications of where, is mo where, where will the most impact be seen. Got it. Yeah. That's awesome. And so um, you, you mentioned like the progression. So I'm imagining this is uh, phase one of a business in Asheville. This is what the impact micro grant is for. Phase two is the, what is the next step? Is it, uh, I'm forgetting the language yeah. that, that you use. Um, yeah, I can't be thinking about like the funnel mm -hmm. a lot of times or even like a product life cycle S-curve chart where, you know, you go from ideation to growth to maturity to, um, you know, either uh, renewal or, or extension or decline, like any, any kind of product or business life cycle. So at the top of the funnel, you're going to have things like the microgrant program, pitch parties, uh, one million cups. And so if you've gone through all that, then at this point you have the makings of a business and it might be time to go to the AB Tech Incubator or Mountain BizWorks Foundations classes, uh, join a co-working space or a peer group kind of thing. If you uh, have a product at this point or you're about to go to market and you're high growth, you can come to Elevate, our mentorship program. Elevate. And that we say that's, that's a long-term relationship you build with human mentors to get through the inflection points of your growth curve. So as you start ticking up, it's a great time to come to Elevate and have mentors take you through. Um, at some point, your growth curve is going to start leveling off, and maybe it's time you jump into scale-up at Mountain BizWorks. Or maybe you came out of scale-up, and, and now you're feeling it's time to execute and you want to come to Elevate. Um, or maybe it's time for a hatch deep dive as we're getting higher up in that curve, which is a 90-day experiment with a team of mentors over there. Um, and then if you're getting to the crest of your growth curve, maybe it's time for uh, YPO, Young Presence Organization, or EO, Entrepreneurs Organization, or a CEO roundtable or a mastermind group to get either either national level type folks or, or just people at, at your same industry stage. Um, and hopefully you don't go into decline. But if you do, you know, that's when you want to find like a investment banker, private equity group who's either going to help you uh, be acquired or, or help you find your exit. Yeah. Right. And it seems like a lot of what you said. So not maybe not everyone um, listening is very familiar with the with everything that's available in Asheville, but um, in just a, a couple episodes ago, we had uh, Moonlight Makers, and they raved what I guess is they're part of the Elevate program. They said that that's been incredibly uh, helpful. In the Elevate program, is there like equity exchange? Is it just uh, you select a couple businesses um, based on bandwidth of the mentors available? How does someone find their way into... Uh, Elevate. Great. It's an absolutely free program. You don't even have to be a chamber member. You can just be in our community. You got to live in uh, Buncombe or Haywood. I'm sorry. You have to have a business in Buncombe or Haywood County that is highly scalable. 
So that's the X factor. That's so really like that, a, that's, a service that's business not... might not be a fit, but if you are making widgets right. or software or um, something mm -hmm. where you can keep making them overnight with the right infrastructure, that's a fit for Elevate. That's exactly right, Tony. Okay. So that, that's how we define highly scalable. At the early stages, if you want to give it a number, we can say, can you 2X your revenue every year? Can you double revenue year over year? That, that's, that, that's a very high growth curve. Um, and it's a team of mentors, right? So you get three to four mentors on your team that are going to help you with all kinds of challenges. Uh, some people compare it to therapy. I compare it more to uh, counseling, not counseling, like consulting. Yeah. yeah. You know, these <laughs> folks become like your, your, your board of advisors, your board of directors, de facto mm -hmm. board of directors. Um, it's a free program. You just got to remain in good standing. So remain in good standing. You got to go to your monthly meeting. You got to come to the peer mentoring sessions that we run. Um, and we want you to be a good steward of the program and of, of you know, actual entrepreneurship. We have, a, we have an experience portfolio, which is, came directly on my graduate program. It, things you have to do to stay in good standing. It's things like you have to pitch. You got to be in competitions. You got to apply for funding, whether it's free funding or angel funding. Um, you got to be involved in your community, whether it's you want to get involved in the Women's Cubs or at your church. You got you to be out in the community, whatever it is. You be volunteering. You got to go to conferences or trade shows. So we create this matrix of activities they have to do outside of their regular mentor sessions. And it really does uh, push entrepreneurs in, into uh, the next level. And why that's so like, I think I that, that. that community yeah. aspect is so interesting. It's so different from what maybe a traditional mentorship program would be, which maybe you just meet with your mentor once a week and then you talk and then you go and do the things. Yeah. Why is that? included why do you think that that's so important for them to grow yeah we found that the the peer mentoring groups we run once a month outside of your regular mentor session is super popular and we hear things like uh, one example i always go back to we had a bunch of men a bunch of founders around a table and someone said um for two years we've been using google sheets to manage our inventory and we're outgrowing it it's not working anymore what do you guys use and, you know, 10 different founders from different businesses, but at similar stages, so not really com not competitors, um, we're talking about what inventory management system they use and why. Yeah. And by the end of this conversation, the founder knew exactly which one they wanted to use. Uh, like that would have taken somebody weeks of research and weeks of sales demos and just so much time on their own when they have people who are in the same boat as you making, you know, similar, but it's not similar product, maybe similar price range or similar stage of business. You know, in those early transitions, which can be really painful and can, you know, either, you know, sink, help you sink or swim. Uh, having folks like you to talk to and work through critical issues is so important. Yeah. And I, I mean, my also my thought is that all of that required work that you've identified as part of the, I guess, being in the program. It it is uh, almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy that if they're participating and doing all of these other things and uh, getting repetitions at pitching, then there will be growth barring some sort of crazy experience or event that we're maybe going through right now. Um, but those things are, I, I would say, like self-select that the people who are participating and make it into year two are going to probably continue to grow because they're doing all the things that are uh, helpful for growth. And, and to me, I mean, that's just, I think that's really a fascinating like 
add-on because I've been a part of mentorship mm-hmm. programs or things like it where, uh, you know, the next meeting is a month from now and it's on a Tuesday. And so Monday before that, you try and do all sorts of stuff <laughs> to make it look right. like you've done something since the last mm-hmm. conversation. Um, and that's, um, that's, not, that's just not enough. If you have if you have two meetings consecutively that it's the same topics and you've shown no growth over a month, we'll ask you to leave. Yeah, we we our mentors are volunteers. Um, their currency is their time, and uh, we want them to know they're valued for their time and appreciated. So if you're just stalling out, you're wasting our mentors' times. We'll we'll ask you to leave the program, and we'll reassign those mentors to a team that will use them. But, but this experience portfolio thing is a lot of fun for me because it's actually research-backed. Mm. My graduate research was in developing entrepreneurial competencies in undergraduate students at Florida. We had compared two comparative groups. One group was in a lecture hall for 15 weeks, got a you know a midterm and a final, that was all in the grades. And the other group was uh, in study, a study abroad program in South Africa where they spent half the day in the classroom and half the day consulting for businesses and townships in Cape Town. And then we gave this 110-question, uh, 13-category uh, survey um, on 13 different entrepreneurial competencies, things like opportunity recognition, tenacity, um, opportunity assessment, uh, the, the, even the ability to build networks, um, risk mitigation. Anyway, so we, we, do, we do this comparative survey, and we find that the students in the lecture hall have no growth. Students who are actually doing the work, who are going from consulting to classroom time back and forth, have immense growth across all these competencies. So we're using that, we actually give that survey to our founders in Elevate, beginning at the end of their, their time in the program. And we want to see, like, you know, if it's not just the mentorship that, that moves that needle to make them truly better founders. And we, we assume that if you're a better founder or a more highly competent entrepreneurial uh, entrepreneur, then your, your, your venture should succeed. As uh, as you being the conduit to that venture, and uh, we've done we did one full cycle with a group of founders. Uh, the three lowest scoring founders in that group, all their ventures failed. Hmm. Three founders, and Twenty and I took both. Uh, three in the middle who had um, middling scores, ventures are still cruising, and then the three highest scoring also actually had the best performing. Um, by jobs, revenue, and and investment in that cohort. So we're doing the survey again, and we're looking for the second year, hoping to find similar growth. But the, the, the whole point of the experience portfolio is the experience portfolio, those activities are prescribing you to do because we think it's, it's good for you to do. They also have an all map back to the 13 entrepreneurial competencies. Wow. So like if you had to break it down into everyday terms, right? Like what what are the characteristics of a successful entrepreneur? And let's say I've never been an entrepreneur before. I, you know, maybe I'm just starting mm-hmm. out. Can I learn how to be an entrepreneur? Or is it something you think that's more innate? It's an age old debate, right? Are yeah. you, it's like leadership too. Are you born a leader? Or can you become a leader? Are you born an entrepreneur? Or can you learn how to be one? And I, uh, you know, my whole background is in education. So I, I obviously I'm in the camp that says uh, entrepreneurship, like your business plan, like product development is a process. It's repeatable. It's teachable. You can develop those skills as long as you develop in the right way. Um, so I very much believe uh, anyone can become a great entrepreneur. 
And so then, so going back to, to the, the competencies, mm -hmm. sorry, I didn't cut you no, off, no. but oh, sure. uh, what, sure. like if you had to describe in, I don't know, three or four, three to five characteristics of successful okay. entrepreneurs, what are you seeing? So you, you gotta have, be tenacious, which can be just heard as you gotta have a thick skin. You know, when you put something you love and you think is great, even before you even go to the market, before you ask people, what do you think about this? Would you buy this? Be prepared to hear no a lot. If you're trying to raise money, be prepared to hear no even more. Mm -hmm. um, so you gotta have a thick skin, call it tenacity. Uh, you gotta be able to convey a compelling vision. That, that's, that's, that's word for word, one of the competencies. But what that means is, can you, can you inspire people? Can you convince somebody to quit their corporate job to come work for you mm. for maybe no or less money and the potential upside, right? Um, I, I tell uh, people, I think Dan Radin at Oxbus is the best person at conveying a compelling vision. He built such an incredible team at that venture. And, and uh, I think it's because he came from a corporate background and knew how to you know, inspire people into podcasting and, and to build this really, they built incredible software. Um, opportunity recognition, opportunity assessment, you know, pattern recognition. Can you find the opportunity? That is super important, um, which goes to, yeah, yeah, you know, this thing, you create this widget might be cool, but is, is, is anybody else going to use it? And that's the opportunity recognition piece. And then I'll say the last one is creative problem solving, which is pretty self-explanatory, right? Uh, as a founder, you're going to have to learn to do things and ask questions and learn about things you never knew you knew you needed to know. All those unknown unknowns out there that you're going to have to do to, to run a business. Um, and you're always going to be resource strapped and low on cash and low on time and stressed out and have competing interests constantly, whether it's your family or other jobs or friends or it doesn't matter. Uh, so if you can't solve problems creatively, I don't think you'll make it as a founder. So I will uh, attempt to use this as a segue, right? So you mentioned how um, the like the requirements for being a part of Elevate uh, ask people to, to do things, pr practical application of these concepts, uh, forward your capacity to do the thing. Uh, so with that, what kind of entrepreneurial experiences do you have outside of coaching and facilitating entrepreneurship? We know of at least one of them, but I, I've just mm -hmm. recently heard now of the one that happened before it. Uh, and what would you yeah. like to share of that story? So I keep an idea journal, uh, which I hope a lot of founders and entrepreneurs, hope you guys do too. And it's, I've been doing it since I was in grad school. I graduated in 2013. And uh, this kind of perpetually add to it. In grad school, we had to write a couple business plans. There's pitch competitions. My grad school project was um, to the first one was called New Media Man. And that was a small business service for new media skills. And then by the time I graduated, I was working on chef sleeves, which were... Um, Athletic shooting sleeve inspired apparel for people working in kitchens. Interesting. That's, that's, a, that's a really fun pitch. And then after that, got into Dog Friendly, an app that found your location and showed you every dog friendly activity near you. Um, 
I was not the kind of kid that you hear these classic stories. People who are entrepreneurs. I'd say when I was eight years old, I created a lemonade stand. Yeah, or I, I was did this, ripping or I was flowers out of gardens and handing them to the homeowner. That was uh, that was really yeah, that was really not me. I didn't get my start until um, you know, every job I've had, like that starting as a middle school teacher, I was a multimedia teacher, at, like computer lab with eighty kids, and um, there was no curriculum. I was at a, in a department of three people from the media center group, and they just gave me my own room. And so I've always had to kind of figure it out and have a lot of autonomy. And so from there, I went to actually grad school in Indiana to build a uh, a new master's level certificate in media technology and learning sciences. And then from there, I went back to University of Florida and went to the Hillel as a program director. And I was just told, just create programs for the students at the campus. All right. Um, so I've always done on, more entrepreneurial, I guess, not mm-hmm. entrepreneurial, yeah. right? Working within larger organizations. And you could say the same thing about Venture Asheville as part of a massive organization for our community, the EDC and the Chamber. So I don't have one of those stories, but it, was, it wasn't until grad school where I got that push to start a business. And um, I'll give you the quick chef's lease pitch, if I may, because I think it's a lot of fun. Do <laughs> you ever hear the expression, don't look in the kitchen of your favorite restaurant? You know why that is? Kitchens are hot and chefs get sweaty. And where's that sweat supposed to go? I'll tell you. It starts on their forehead in little beads. The little beads become big drops. And those drops sometimes fall off their face into your food. Or they, they drip down their head to their neck, down their arms, across their hands, onto their utensils, into your food. It happens all the time. Sweat gets in the food. You know, the, the way chefs work hasn't changed in something like 500 years. The, the chef's whites that we see our chefs wearing today go back to uh, Renaissance France. If you look across activities and sports, uh, uh, professional attire, it all adapts with modern technology at the time. And it's about time that our kitchens got with the program. I'm introducing to you all chef's sleeves. Chef's sleeves inspired by Allen Iverson's shooting sleeve are made of three materials, nylon, spandex, and uh, a polyaramid fiber like Kevlar. As a chef sweats, they create it, it wicks the moisture away from their skin and dries quickly on the surface, never getting sweat into your food. And the, the, the spandex creates vascular restriction, so chefs get less tired can work longer and more consistently. And the polyaramid fiber fiber protects chefs from burns and cuts and nicks, all kinds of things that happen in the kitchen. Chef Sleeves by Jeff Sleeves. <laughs> that was a Chef Sleeves pitch. Yeah. That, 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 we never produced it. Yeah. That was just one that we, uh, as part of our product development class, we had a pitch and create a business plan around it. And we would do things like go to food truck rallies and give all these chefs, um, like, like you know, $5 shooting sleeves we bought at Foot Locker. And we're like, just try it on, wear it for your shift. We'll come back in three hours and see how you liked it. And they, they really liked it, um, but ne- never actually took the next step. Yeah. And then after grad school, uh, we had just adopted our second dog, Tallulah, who's an Australian Shepherd. And cool. um, we're also a veterinarian, of course. And we have another dog and a cat. And then well, this new dog, it was like, oh, we got to see where the new dog parks are. And you got to do this and do that. And we found this problem of always wanting to go out and, and do things with our dog, but not having a good resource to find nearby things to do with our dog so i created dog friendly with a ph uh because dog friendly with an f was taken and we we it was just me 
I went to the Groundwork Labs Accelerator in Durham through NCIDEA, went through that program, and learned how to do some web crawling and database building, and then all these no-code hacking, no-code, low-code type programs to create an app with a geolocating map in 13,000 locations across the country. Restaurants, parks, hotels, beaches, hiking trails, you name it, you can find it on, on, the, on the app. Um, the way I got into Groundwork Labs, this is a fun story, is John Austin, the director at, at NCIDEA, um, I knew that I was like one of the worst applicants and I was just kind of like, Meh, maybe, you know, I'm up there against guys doing IOT device failure prediction and like really important stuff. And I'm here with like my app for people who like dogs. Yeah. So a lot of people I, like uh, dogs, more people have dogs than uh, internet of things technology, I'd argue. Yeah. So he, I knew I could get in based on the application. Like I get to the interview. At the interview, I brought in um, a tray of cookies that I told him my wife made, and they're all cut out in like dog paws and shapes of dogs and all these like silly little things. The truth is, I made them the night before, but I wanted him to feel like the whole family is like riding on this. We need you to in the groundwork labs. Please let us in. Uh, we got in, and that was really great. Not just to be in an accelerator, um, it was somewhat repetitive content wise to what I went through in grad school, but to get to know the network of the Triangle and Durning and Raleigh and Chapel Hill and all that their investors and, and, and the people who are making that ecosystem happen was great. And that app, we scaled up to 15,000 users. Uh, and then I sold it to a blogger who was just getting started uh, almost exactly two years ago on May 4th. My non-compete runs out. Um, I have any intention or plan of getting back into the dog business, but that, that, was, that was great just to uh, get that kind of um, – I, call, I consider that my first at bat, yeah. you know, my first time of building a product, going through the whole process, lean design, you know, human centered design, um, working with people in Pakistan as developers and trying to find co-founders and trying to get investment. And then none of it went well. You know, you get a lot of bruises. And so I, I was glad to have a low stakes first at bat. Um, learned a lot about the industry because the pet industry is unbelievable and fantastic. A lot of fun. And it's so diverse from medicine to food to products to apps and technology. It's, it's really cool. Um, and then, yeah, we, we didn't make much money on that at all. Actually, we took what we made off of Dog Friendly and took a trip to uh, Italy. So. Money well spent. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I actually have a quick question yeah. uh, to, for more clarity. The process of exiting and selling, even if it's, to your point, not a big exit, like, did you use a broker? Did this person just reach out to you? It was just serendipitous. What, what was that process like? I, I've been looking for someone to take it over for a year or, or more, even. Um, either, either people that were in a similar space or they had an app for this or for that in the dog world. Like, hey, do you guys want to take our assets? We've got 15,000 users. We've got 13,000 locations. We've got this database. We've got this, this YouTube channel with 90,000 views and these Instagram followers, this and that. So I try to package up all of our assets and say, you may not want to do dog friendly. That's fine. But you may want our database as a feature for your product, or you may want to take over our social media channels to give you a head start, which is what I think our, the person who bought our product, uh, I think that's what she got more out of it was essentially she had the database. She never, I don't think she ever used it, but to get this big head start and all the SEO, she all of our th uh, 301 redirects to her site. Um, you know, thousands of followers and users all went to suddenly a new platform. Mm -hmm. So that's how I pitched it to her was this is a big head start for you. It helps our users feel like, you know, they, they invest their time in something that's still living on. We're not shutting it down. And they can still find the map when they, when they want to go more with their dogs. 
Um, so there was four or five attempts to find a buyer. Some got really close and were very friendly. Others were insulting and, and uh, I mean, people like laughed at the prices I was asking for. Um, and it just kind of worked when I found this last one. Cool. Cool. Yeah, I, uh, very interested in that. A couple of people have reached out to us. We're um, constantly getting you know people to say hi after they opt into our email list. Uh, and in a very interesting turn of events, last week, like three people in three days reached out about either buying or selling or uh, being a broker on businesses and asking if there were resources. And I was, uh, saw an opportunity to get more information on that process. Yeah, so for me, I, I didn't think a direct competitor, um, I mean, direct competitors are always a good source if someone to buy you directly. Um, but yeah, so our, our thing was how, how do we, our, how, I didn't think that was going to happen for us. I was trying to be a value add to a buyer. Great. Um, but there are, there are people in town that will lead you through mergers and acquisitions and it takes a substantial fee to do it. But it's, um, for, for larger, uh, larger sums is probably worthwhile. Great. With, um, so that was your last venture. Do you have any interest in telling us about yeah. what what else uh is afoot you don't have to it's just it's an option this is the mic is yours uh so what we're working on now outside of uh venture Asheville and being a dad is just kibitz which is a dating spike to help let me try that again <laughs> just kibitz a date <laughs> just kibitz a dating site to help someone you love meet someone they'll love this is uh, the quick pitch on this one is uh, all my mom wants is for my little brother to marry a nice Jewish girl. So much so that she created a fake J-date profile of my little brother to help him find a date. Long story short, it didn't end well. But what my mom was doing was pretty sweet, and I think ahead of her time, maybe behind her time. The way parents met other parents to set up their kids on dates is like how civilization started. It's how people left caves. And the world of online dating today is an absolute train wreck. 60% of women are sent unsolicited nude photos. 72% of all users have had to block another user. And less than one in five matches ever becomes a date. We want to turn these statistics around. By taking the oldest form of dating and bringing it online, we're letting mothers match with other mothers, talk about their kids, and if they think the kids would get along and she want a date, the parents can prepay for the date inside the app. That's it. That's just kibitz. Love it. Does it work for married yeah, couples? Mom, will uh, you pay for more, our date? One, yeah. Uh, maybe maybe 2.0. I do. I'm very excited to show this. We just we just got a new logo. And our good friends, your good friends and mine, Moonlight Makers, oh. create our new shirts. Here they are. Love it. The uh, or, what's what's it called? Uh, not Argyle. The the sl Raglan sleeve, the baseball. Yeah, the sleeve baseball T-shirt. Cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, the baseball tee. Yeah, oh, sure. into it, into it, into it. Pop. Yeah. Fluorescent orange. Uh, so and so, is... if you're listening to this, it's a good time to go to YouTube. <laughs> and look at how cool this shirt is yeah if there's ever been a compelling reason to check out our youtube <laughs> channel this is it people it's a beautiful beautiful shirt and coincidentally we have a very early draft it's hidden 
but a very early yeah. draft of about to be announced, making it an Asheville t-shirt uh, that will rip off at the very end of this episode. <laughs> Not actually, but rip the vest off. Very nice shirt you got there. Yeah. Um, uh, I do want to talk a little more about please. Jess Kibitz because the backstory I think is interesting and in, in how it came to be. Yeah. had the idea for years. This is a true story. My mom was doing this for my little brother and I didn't know my wife was the one she told that we were home or in South Florida for something. And my mom pulled out this computer and showed it to Danielle. And look at these girls I'm, I'm trying to match Adam with. What do you think? But Danielle's like, well, what are you doing? <laughs> but she's like, it's identity like theft. <laughs> people have tried this before for their kids. Um, and it's been this like fun pitch we use at pitch parties. And I feel like at the pitch party, it's your first time walking into an ecosystem. Um, you're worried people aren't going to like your idea or think it's dumb or think it's silly. And I am it. And I did a really big job. I really, really tried really hard of. Uh, trying to make it a really safe space for ideas. And if I can take um, the most outlandish idea and make it seem kind of reasonable, like anything that comes after that is going to be fine. So this pitch, we've been refining it for like two years. And a bunch of my friends knew about it. And when Sawyer was born in July, a friend said, when you're the dad on fraternity leave, when you're home, all you're doing is like making food once in a while and changing diapers. You have a lot of time on your hands, uh, which isn't really true. Uh, <laughs> So why, don't you, why don't you try to start this business? You have like three weeks at home. Try to start a business. So I put some wireframes together. I got a landing page up. I talked to Mike, my CTO, my good friend. Um, he's building the back end out. We got a few other people on board. Hannah was going to come on board if we could make this thing go full time. And suddenly, like just like in a few weeks, we had the skeletal structure of a dating site. We, we, we did it with a Tinder clone for our first prototype and just made it with moms instead. Um, and then we... we got into the big scary fish tank we put our you know seven minute pitch together and we awarded one hundred and fifty thousand dollars to keep going and the big scary fish tank was put on by the angel um, Asheville investment club which is a group of angel investors and since then we've been um building our marketing material we've got the campaigns are about to launch we have a video team that's creating uh we'll share it here our character we're creating to get is called the yenta fairy and the concept here is that Forever, the Yenta Fairy has been behind these great matchups in history. Um, it's the magic between two mothers is the Yenta Fairy and all this stuff, right? She's this like shit this matchmaker woman. And uh, the idea is that she's tired and she wants to retire. So she created Just Kibitz. So you can be the Yenta you were born to be. And that's kind of our whole marketing pitch around this uh, video campaign to drive traffic to the site. Um, oh my goodness, I cannot wait to see. Yeah, I, all of this come out. I, I'm so into it. I, I I know that we've mentioned this in the past, but I think that the most recent season of Marvelous Miss Maisel is like teeing this situation yeah. up where if you don't watch Marvelous Miss Maisel, her mom is, is it, is the word Yenta? Like, I don't know what that is, but she goes into matchmaking full steam ahead yeah, the, in this most recent season. The actual, the actual matchmaker is a title. It's a job in, in like, Jewish culture. It's called a shidduch or a shadchan. And I feel like that'd be a really bad URL. Um, <laughs> yeah, how do you pronounce that? <laughs> so Yenta is, uh, from Fiddler on the Roof, is the name of a woman who happens to be a shadchan. So in pop culture, being a Yenta has become associated with being a matchmaker, even though it's not exactly a one-for-one thing. Uh, and a Yenta really is like a, a chatty, nosy, in-your-face woman, like the bossy lady of the community is a Yenta. Uh, but it's also like someone who like we, we talk about it in our marketing uh, meetings like a yenta looks at any kid as her kid 
you know, if you're one of her kids' friends, you may as well be her kid. And you're, you know, she's going to take care of you too. You sit at the table, there's going to be food for you. You know, you want to meet somebody, she's going to introduce you. She's, she's a Yenta. And so that's the idea of the Yenta fairy, this, this archetypical, um, like Jewish mother. It could be anybody's mom kind of thing. And this is who we're trying to portray. And the actress, Maren Hink, Hink, Hinkle or Hinky from Marvelous Mrs. Maisel plays the mom. We, we have like our, our top tier choice of like really famous Jewish woman celebrities. And she's on our, if we can get Marin, it would be, it would be incredible. I don't think we can afford her, yeah. but we would, we would like. So Marin, if you're listening to this and you think it'd be a fun idea, uh, give me a call. Is equity on the table? Is that a, is that, would that be something you'd be interested in? Could she, for somebody of that level, we would, we would, yeah. uh, we have an allocation of shares for our employee stock ownership program or employee share, share ownership program. Um, and we, we, all of our employees are uh, eligible for that program, and we would share it for someone like that who we, obviously we can't afford, but if they would take a small sum of money and some back-end, like they're going to have to do social media posting or continue videos or more support, we would be if there's going to be a long-term relationship, we would happy to extend equity to them. Yeah, and I, I mean, I'll, I'll use that as an as a opportunity to maybe uh, segue back into these like universal truths we asked about like what are some things that founders do a thing that stood out for me through this is it seems your ability to identify uh not just like incentives but like where opportunity lies and what people need and so it's something about incentives it's something about resources and um and i find that really like i find it inspiring and and the way that you're talking about this is something that uh might not be intuitive, right? Like you might not obviously know that you could pay someone with the back end and have a stock owner pool, but like once you're exposed to it, it can be taught and you do it once and then you can do it a second time. I just find that um, the idea of teaching, maybe not, well, teaching entrepreneurship, I do think is possible. It's it's just the willingness to to move towards unknowns is the thing that I think needs the most repetitions. And it just so happens that if you get uh, entrepreneurial opportunities, you get given autonomy, uh, you can flip that level of autonomy into your own uh, endeavor if perhaps you have some seed money that you can start with, like the Impact Fund. Yeah, Tony, I think you're talking about this tolerance for ambiguity, which is one of the competencies as well. Like you have to be comfortable walking through fog you may not know it's the other side of the fog, but you feel confident or competent enough to know how to get through it. You know, you're not taking leaps, you're taking small steps. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and if we give you $5,000 in the microgrant, we don't give you $5,000 and say, see you later. Like you, you immediately go into Elevate or, or Scale Up or the AV Tech Incubator. or we, we don't let you just walk away free. Like we, we want to make sure you're getting support along the way. Um, because entrepreneurship, to be an entrepreneur, it is a journey. There is no end point. Uh, it is absolutely a journey that grows along with, with the individual. To, to your point on the uh, fog metaphor, one of the metaphors that has really, I found to be one of the strongest versions of language to remind us that same truth is the, is the idea that like in starting a business, you are not launching a rocket, which uh to launch a rocket, everything needs to be perfectly right. Otherwise, it explodes. And that is not a good thing. You're simply driving a car. And while driving a car, you can drive through fog so long as the headlights work. Like, you can go slow. You can drive faster if you get 
you know, a straight road. If it's windy, slow down. And like that concept to me of just remembering that we don't need to know exactly uh, what this podcast is going to grow into a year from now. It's Mm -hmm. just probably a good thing to start it a year ago so that a year from now we get to make the decisions that are afforded to us because we started and because we continued. Yeah, that, that's the corridor principle. That's exactly it. And I tried explaining this at Demo Day, and I totally fumbled through it. But the corridor principle comes from the 80s that a Harvard professor was saying, the entrepreneurial journey is like walking down a corridor of hallways, that the pursuit of opportunity itself leads to more opportunities. You know, as it was interesting that last week, people reaching out to you for potential partnerships for acquisitions or, or sales. Um, it's because just, just in the pursuit of doing this podcast and making a name for yourself and building a marketing company, more opportunities will, will, will become apparent. The longer you do it, the more the more you see. Um, now you were saying something before. I, I should I should go back to you about um, the recognizing opportunity. Uh, things like do I get some points in the back end? A lot of that can be taught through experiential education or mentorship. So I may not, you know, I've never done a, a deal like that before, mm-hmm. but I, I've gone, I've met enough CEOs and listened, read enough case studies um, in the Harvard Business Review or enough books to, to, to know that there's concepts like that out there. Mm-hmm. There's other ways, there's multiple ways to skin a cat. There's lots of ways to compensate somebody. Like pricing is a, is a huge topic for entrepreneurs and it feels like such a big, scary topic. And it's really not. There's like four or five things in the pricing playbook you can do. Now it goes back to the four P's of marketing: product, price, promotion, place. Like you, it's like it's really not as intimidating as as it sounds. Uh, and so much of entrepreneurship to me is is about Star Trek. And if you know Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan, this has been replicated in the reboots. Uh, the Kobayashi Maru is the final exam to be a starship captain. I'm telling you, give me a look like you know this already. <laughs> well, I just I, and, I, I love <laughs> I love hard like I love hardline metaphors. Because they're uh, there's something that you can cling on to for forever, and that you'll uh, be able Empire. to track with. Like, where am I in? Oh yeah, it's uh, I'm at stage two, and I don't actually know Star Trek much, but I'm just excited about what's about to happen. I, I think you said cling on in there. So uh, the Kobayashi Maru is a final exam. It's a simulation where you come out of warp and you're surrounded by uh, Klingon birds of prey, and it's supposed to be a lose lose situation. It, the, the idea is that. Everyone fails at Kobayashi Maru, and you're graded or evaluated on how do you handle failure. Because as a starship captain, you will, be, you will see defeat. As a founder, as an entrepreneur, you will have setbacks you didn't know you would have. Like thing, Bad things are going to happen. My mentor has this great quote. He says, what happens when you start a business? Shit happens. Like, bad things will happen to you you can't see coming, so how do you deal with that? Um, now, of course, James Kirk is famous because he cheated. And he rigged the program so he could win, and that made him famous at an early age as a starship captain. Uh, but generally, it's, it's, you're supposed to lose. You're supposed to fail. And how do you make your way out of a what should be a no-win situation? That is the – if you want to boil everything down to one competency a founder needs, that's the one. How do you handle a no-win situation? I'm into that. Yeah. I, I, for what it's worth, I feel like whatever little venture we've had this year, I feel like we're winning. I feel like it's um, it's been hard, right? But like I am so in love with the work that we've done in the process uh, that 
all of the roadblocks and challenges and issues that we've certainly dealt with haven't felt catastrophic or crazy. And I imagine that's part of the uh, part of the rest of the framework of what uh, allows for entrepreneurs to uh, be able to actually sleep at night. <laughs> uh, yeah, this, this, this idea that the, the how do you handle losing essentially is the lowest and highest bar at the same time. Because if you can handle losing well, you obviously can handle winning, right? So it's um, it, it, it's, a, it's, it's a unfairly simplistic. And if I may quote the Talmud here for a moment, this great famous story with Rabbi Hillel and Rabbi Shammai, and this um, story goes. This, uh, is this too weird for your podcast? No, go for it. <laughs> right. So this Gentile goes up to Rabbi Shammai and he says, tell me all the Torah standing on one foot. And Shammai says, get out of here. I don't want to talk to you. Don't, don't insult me like that. Then he goes to Shammai's uh, rival, Rabbi Hillel, and he says, tell me the whole story. Tell me the whole Torah standing on one foot. And, you know, he hops on one foot and he says, uh, what is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. And the rest is just details. So when we talk about this idea of entrepreneurship, it's, you know, how can you handle no-win situation? The rest is just details. Like that simple act of uh, being able to compose yourself, make level-headed, create a problem-solving, being bootstrapped and resourceful, creating opportunities, creating value, uh, that's all some that, – that all – just thought right there, the sum is greater than all the parts here, the whole – all the parts. Uh, that's what it is to – can you handle these difficult, unexpected, ambiguous situations? There, there's – incredible mastery behind that simple minimalistic phrase wow yeah i really really love that and and i i want to bring it back to what's going on now <laughs> and uh sort of what the future holds for you and for adventure Asheville. um so tell us a little bit about what you're thinking about in the coming uh months and well year 2020 uh 2020 is uh a, uh, unprecedented. I hate that. Now let me start over. 2020 is an ambiguous at best year for everybody. No one knows it's going to happen tomorrow, next month, in six months. Um, you know, the chamber and EDC and Venture Asheville, we are an event heavy organization. Much of our revenue comes from events. Uh, and, and those are all evaporating or they are turning online or they're trying to find uh, a new home in some way, some form or being reinvented. Uh, so we, we've taken pitch parties online, all of our mentorships gone online. That was pretty easy to transfer for us at Venture Asheville. Towards the end of the year in December, we'll have the 2020 Venture 15, our, our great big award show at the end of the year for everything from the 15 fastest growing companies to our mentor, entrepreneur, investor, and so on of the year, our big awards we give out. Um, and we hope we're still doing that December 17th at the Orange Peel. We're not changing that yet. We're holding that date. We're hoping by December we, we have enough people either who are – not vaccinated, but inoculated or available or have been exposed, and we can we can have an event. Um, but a lot of things are being reinvented in a, in a virtual space. I'm, I'm actually super optimistic about the future of Asheville's ecosystem as a whole. Uh, if you look at the Dogwood Health Trust, right there's and and the Mission HCA Mission Innovation Fund, there are some massive opportunities coming to our region um, that are going to be absolutely transformational. And I think now they just take on a new tenor or a new significance given the struggles in our economy and our workforce, everyone who's around here. Um, I want to talk about the HCA Mission Fund for a moment. I think this is not as well known as the Dogwood Health Trust. But as part of the sale from Mission to HCA, 
there was like 15 or so covenants they had to keep. And one of them was the establishment of a $25 million innovation fund. Wow. This is a corporate venture fund being operated by jointly Mission and HCA. And I, I, I expect most of the funding to be in the $1 to $2 million range. I mean, this is a venture fund, so they, they want to see that classic 10x return. Do you know what it's going to do to our community to have 10 to 15 or even 20 um, high-tech healthcare startups in our community in the next four years? That money has to be spent. The money, the $25 million, like legally, by the Attorney yeah. General, it has to be spent here. Like we're a beer city because we've got 10, 15 breweries downtown and 30 across, 60 across the region. So when you put 10, 15 high-tech healthcare startups in our little community, that's, that, that's a paradigm, paradigm, paradigm shift yeah. right there. Uh, what that's going to do for job creation, follow-up investment, um, who needs to come here to work or how, or workforce training programs to take people to become ready for those jobs in those, in those uh, companies. Um, so I'm still as optimistic as I was before the crisis. If anything, it, it reaffirms what we've been saying for a long time, that we need a, a diverse economy as a healthier economy. Um, you know, I think tourism gets a bad rap here. Tourism, is, I think, is a, a great uh, opportunity for our community. Uh, it's 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 only fifteen percent of our economy. I think people think it's a lot more. Only fifteen percent. Yeah, that seems. And it's worth, it's worth keeping that in mind. It seems like it would be a much bigger number than fifteen percent. That that is, in fact, surprising for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you look at. Um, as a whole, it's probably more jobs because mm-hmm. they're lower wage jobs generally, versus you'd see in the more healthcare startups you're going to have, which would be higher paying jobs. Um, there's also a ton of manufacturing here. Mm-hmm. Healthcare itself, I mean, Mission Health is the largest employer in our region. Um, government jobs, education jobs are pretty big too. You look at like, like Asheville City Schools is one of our largest employers. Um, it, ju- it just gets a lot more uh, spotlight um, because that's such a driver of the community. Absolutely. Yeah, sure. It's kind of what I mean. Asheville's known to be a place that you go mm-hmm. and visit to the rest of the world, so that kind of makes sense. But that's yeah, that's really really interesting. Um, I'd love to move into our speed round. Great. Are you ready, Jeff? <laughs> I'm so ready. I prepared questions. I'm so ready. I prepared questions for you guys. Oh, okay. oh well, this is a double speed round. Cool. cool. Uh, so do you want to go one for one or how do you want to do this? Let's do it. <laughs> let's do it. That way. <laughs> okay. So Adventure 15, you wore this amazing outfit that I think everybody talked about. The night will always remember what Jeff <laughs> wore. Yeah. Can you just take a minute to a, describe what you wore and where did you get this outfit? Yeah. So the outfit, let's describe it first. It was, you know, like a slacks a white shirt a uh, skinny black tie but the what stole the show was this insane red paisley almost neon blazer i found um on amazon so i was between the white blue and red blazer and i was sending the links to like my coworker ryan my wife um asking like what blazer people like the best and uh, they, they said the red one was the best i tried it on i felt like i looked like a magician or something you did like a I little magician. This red quote in these black pants and um <laughs> But it uh, it was very festive, and I it think it was the right the right tone we're going for the Venture Fifteen this year. That's fun. Love it. Cool. Okay, my question. All right. You two have this great history with the country Italy. Mm-hmm. So what do you prefer, cacchetti or tapas? 
uh, I mean, definitely Italian, like stuzzacchini snacks, if that's what you're asking. You mean between like Spanish tapas and Italian? Yeah, Spanish tapas are the, I guess, more Venetian cachetti. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, yeah. The bite-sized, yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously. Okay. It's just the flavors of Italian food that... You know his last name is Uber Ta- Uber Tacho. Like, Our, how can we not like? Yeah. That? So we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna stay in the the team corner on this. But I, I, yeah, Italian cuisine <laughs> for us is uh, very special. We though do love all of the Mediterranean cuisines. Yeah, I mean, karate knocks it out of the park every time. Yeah, so you can't really we won't complain there. We we honeymooned in Portugal, and they do an incredible small plate game plan as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but. You know, push comes to shove, it's going to be Italian food winning fist to fist with us. It's our second question. I have a, a entrepreneur question for you, which is, and you just don't think about this too much because it could be a loaded question, but most inspiring entrepreneur for you right now in this moment. Yeah. I feel, like I, need, I feel like it's a very political answer that I got to say someone local to give them some. That's <laughs> <laughs> what I think I got to do here. Um, I feel like the easy answer is someone like Elon Musk or Sarah Blakely. Mm. Um, those are just so like classic. But no, I want to I say who's really inspiring me right now in our community. Dan Wisnant, retired Colonel Dan Wisnant. Not to go back to the veteran thing. Yeah. Well. But, um, uh, Dan Wisnan is uh, an ex- I mean, he's full colonel, retired. When he pitches his SDV, Service Disabled Veteran Office Systems, they furnish and design uh, veteran affairs Got hospitals. And, and, and they say their tagline is, we are des- veterans, veterans designing spaces to heal veterans. And in his pitch, he talks about the president of the company or one of the one, executive director, Mike, I can't remember Mike's last name, but he talks about how Mike is a gold star family. That means they, someone in their family um, was lost in combat overseas. And it was actually under Dan's um, leadership, his charge in Fallujah, uh, Iraq. Or is that Afghanistan? I think it's Afghanistan. In Fallujah. And um, so this whole team was entirely owned by veterans and they have this insane work ethic and it's incredible commitment to each other and it's like i was in a fraternity in college and i thought, thought like brotherhood was like a thing it pales in comparison to the bond that this team has for each other and the way they treat you know friends of friends if you're with them you are in and what they've done with this company this concept of uh veterans design space to heal veterans and, you know, he came in trying to raise money. They renegotiated with suppliers. They're doing all the right things as entrepreneurs. Um, they're having an absolutely mo- – last year they had a monster year. They're having an even bigger one this year. They were the number one company at the Venture 15 last year. So this insane growth rate. I would not be surprised if they were number one again. Yeah. I, so I went to the pitch competition, and I was floored by them and by uh, Appalachian Pharmacy. Uh, the, the two of those, both of those businesses represent such crazy opportunity awareness and like specific knowledge 
and like connecting these these things that are just hard to it like the moat around how difficult it is to pull off what they're doing mm-hmm. and like how many seats there are at each of the tables is just absolutely dumbfounding and then the scale of the opportunities are also crazy for me so I love that as a pick. I uh, I just assumed you were going to say Kay Bentley, who's winning everything right now, and I think is somehow or another nominated for May's uh, Chamber Award. Um, but she I, won. She got Small Business of the Month. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Kay, Kay, I, I, is a great example of resource leveraging. I was so impressed the first time I saw her van, and I've gotten to know her pretty well. I know you guys profiled her. Kay, Kay is um, very inspiring as well. Um, the thing about Appalachian Specialty and and SDV together is they represent uh, another academic concept called kaleidoscope thinking. Mm-hmm. So uh, some people call it threading the needle, right? Find that really unique opportunity across the high motor barriers and to find the perfect opportunity. And the kaleidoscope thinking is more about the more you shift and rotate like the lenses you see the world through in a kaleidoscope, these beautiful images emerge. In the same way, with the exact right alignment of resources, the perfect opportunity emerges. Yeah. Um... Google those people. Uh, hopefully one day we have them each on the, on the podcast because what they're doing is um, is going to be huge. I mean, it already is huge, but it's going to mm-hmm. continue to be huge. And it's exciting to have them in our community. All right. Yeah, last so my, question, speed. my second question is stick with the Italian theme. Best pizza in town. What is it? Ooh, we recently <sighs> tried to do a little. Uh, so I will say, because I'm a smart husband, that the best pizza in town is out of our oven during Bravo. Uh, <laughs> Bravo. But uh, there's also been a lot of bad pizza that's come out of our oven, but we'll, we won't talk about that. Yeah, that's a hard one. I mean, we so, have a top three. Either. Yeah, top three are uh, White Labs pizza, which we recently discovered. Um, and I don't think I don't think enough people know that they do pizza, but their pizza is to me probably the closest to like a true Neapolitan style pizza. All Souls Pizza, which is kind of like its own category, I think, like kind of Neapolitan, but they use a lot of uh, different flours and whole grains and things, so it's kind of a different taste. And then, um, you know what? We actually haven't had their pizza, but I can judge from the way it looks and from the way that everything else they put out, which is Cucina 24, uh, they serve pizza and they do it in a brick oven and it looks super legit. Uh, and we love everything that Brian Canapelli like just gives to the world so and my qualifier just you know color commentary on the play-by-play is that uh we specifically love a neapolitan style pizza which is like a softer lighter in cooks Mm -hmm. for 90 seconds or so we i mean i grew up in new jersey we lived in new york together the new york style pie is also fantastic it's just different and when we think best we think neapolitan and a very specific personal pie kind of experience um and so Mm -hmm. take that with a grain of salt if you're from chicago and think that your pizza should look like a square and cake which is fine i I think all carbohydrates as vehicles (laughs) for cheese and and sauce and other toppings (laughs) are great and they're all welcome in my in my uh belly which i'm you know doing my best to not let grow too much because Sarah has been in beast mode cooking. <laughs> We've been, yeah, I think we yeah. usually go on like a carb free like diet because it's just been pizza and pasta and bread because it's been cooking so much during all of this. But, anyways, last question for you, Jeff, which is yeah. uh, the magic wand question. I'm sure you know this question well from our other podcast episodes, but if we had a magic wand or someone in our audience had a magic wand, what one thing would you ask for right now? 
Uh, it can range from lunch, lunch or free hour from the baby <laughs> or, you know, world peace, whatever you want. Um, I really want this coronavirus crap to be over. I really want people to be able to go back outside to see and hug my friends, to sit at a brewery for hours, to shoot in the breeze with people, making new friends and, and being, um, let me say uh, another way. If I had a magic wand, I, I want to be able to uh, enjoy the company of others again. In person, my family. in physical spaces, I, I, and touch yeah, them without yeah. fear. Their fear or your fear you know, and all of that. I'm, I'm kind of a hugger. Um, Same. <laughs> my, mom, my mom was babysitting during the Venture 15 this year, and she watched it on the live stream. And, uh, and her comment afterwards were, do you know all these people or are you just hugging everybody? Right? <laughs> it's like both, both, uh, you know, I, just, I, um, I really miss, uh, shared experiences and building relationships with people. It's not the same. Like this is, this is cool. This is great. Recording podcast is fine. But I was talking to my, my, uh, my boss Clark about this. Like this, this guy scheduled a meeting with the two of us to do networking. Like, this is like the worst kind of networking I've ever done. Like yeah. networking for me is staying in line at one million cups and just striking up a conversation with somebody next to you in line for coffee. Yeah. And next thing you know, you're your business cards and you're following up. And uh, you know, relationships are built off many shared experiences, and we're not having the same shared experiences anymore. Uh, I really missed that. I wanted that. I've had a magic wand. I want to share experiences with people in person. Yeah, I, I hear that. Our first experience at all day darling was with you. And from that moment forward, all day darling was like a very productive workspace and like community building meeting place for us. Um, and I, I'm with you on that special in person X factor about, uh, things like serendipity coming into play that just, uh, mm -hmm. is hard. It, it takes a lot more effort to connect in this world. And even then the, uh, upper bound on what good might come of it is I'd say capped. So I think that's a great answer. And especially I, you know, the two of us with so much pizzazz as we have, spunk. <laughs> and spunk, that's what the word was with so much spunk. I'll call it joie de vivre, but sure. Um, so if, if you were to summarize, uh, how you're doing in Asheville? Would you? How would you say that you're doing in Asheville? Are you are you making it? I, I, uh, I think one of your guests <laughs> said it best. That was I'm doing okay-ish in Asheville. Oh man, that's, that's uh, I think it's never been a more true statement than probably right now. Right. You know, there's a lot to be thankful for. We got to count our blessings. Um, you know, there's a lot to be thankful for in our world. Um, there's a, you know, I think I think it's an entrepreneurial entrepreneurial trait to be uh, dissatisfied with the status quo. And our status quo going into this thing was really good. You know, we have great amenities in our area, and those are being so restricted. So our status quo has gone down a little bit. Um, and so because of that, I think we're doing it okay-ish. Why did you have something you wanted to add? <laughs> no, I just I, I I couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, and one of the yeah. things I'll, I'll add to that concept is I went to a conference from, it was the Inc. 500 or something conference. It was in LA and the founder of Life is Good, the brand was there. Yeah. Um, and he had an absolutely incredible keynote presentation. 
And one of the things that just stuck with me is that uh, optimism is like a pragmatic approach to business building. Like it, it actually makes sense mm. to remain optimistic in large part because then you can find opportunities and, and, and they show up because mm-hmm. you're, you're looking for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and even in times like we're experiencing now, which you know, undoubtedly are not what anyone would have asked for, um, there might be good that comes of it. And if you're looking for it, I just think you're, it's more likely that you find it. So with that, thank you so much for joining us today. How in the world would someone follow you, support you, connect with you on the World Wide Web, email, however you want people to connect? Yeah. Uh, first, it's an absolute honor to be on this podcast. I'm a huge fan of you two, a huge fan of how well um, you tell the stories of entrepreneurs in our community, uh, which is such a rich uh, entrepreneurship group, uh, community here. So thank you for doing this podcast, and thanks for having me. It's an absolute treat to, to spend time. It's great to see you guys anyways, but this is a lot of fun. Uh, to keep up with me, you could follow us on any social media at VentureAVL. We have a newsletter, which is more or less my weekly love letter to the community, where we just, we just kind of ch- kibitz, we chit-chat. Um, it's actually it's a, it's like an oddly personal corporate newsletter <laughs> that we send out every week. Um, Maybe like too personal sometimes. Uh, and if you want to stay with me personally, this is going to sound so dorky, but um, LinkedIn is probably the best way to keep up with me. That's great. Send me uh, an invite and please put in something in the message like, hey, listen to you or hey, we met at this thing and send me uh, that invite that way and I'll be much more apt to accept it. Um, that's linkedin.com slash in slash Jeff Dude. Jeff Dude. We'll have that linked in the show notes page, no doubt about it. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Jeff Kaplan, there is a baby that I think needs your attention. We have overstayed our welcome. (laughs) And we want so much. He's trying to walk. He's hearing these thumps and cries all day, all night. Uh, But thank you so, so, so much for hanging out with us today. Thank Thank you you for welcoming us into the community. Uh, with which like you are no doubt a central hub, a very important figure in it. Um, And we are so grateful for how warmly you've received us and how you've connected us to people. So thank you. It's been a privilege to have you today. Thank you guys. And that was episode 54 with Jeff Kaplan. Jeez Louise. Holy moly. Uh, Jeff is Jeff is great. I think that he's he's doing an incredible job in our community. He's been a great resource to us in our first year in Asheville. And many of our uh, guest interviewees as well have, have mentioned Venture Asheville's work. So we're glad to have brought him on the podcast. For sure. Had the mm-hmm. opportunity to share some of the story. And perhaps most importantly, let you all know about the, uh, the many ways that the Chamber of Commerce in Asheville is here and trying to be of use to the community. So please disseminate this uh, episode amongst friends who have business ideas, who are looking to either start or scale or grow or transition a business. Um, we have a lot of resources here in the community. Venture Asheville is one of them. We are so excited uh, to share this story. So if you liked this episode, uh, please let us know by visiting uh, in either in the description on the player that you're using or on our podcast page, the link that 
allows you to leave a review, uh, a five-star review or a comment review on Apple Podcasts. By leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, you help this podcast get found by people who care about Asheville and our entrepreneur community. And furthermore, don't forget to subscribe. Uh, you can go to makingitinashville.com forward slash subscribe for all the different ways you can stay connected with us, including our email newsletter, which is where we announce new episodes and give uh, behind the scenes information about each episode. Um, it's also where we share events first uh, and tons of other helpful information. Um, you can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook uh, and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast player. And I will. Uh, I would be remiss to uh, leave out our YouTube channel because yes. uh, we had a fun little call out to our YouTube channel with Jeff in the episode. And so if you are watching on YouTube, high five to you. If you have not checked out our YouTube channel, please do. You guessed it. It's called Making It in Asheville. Uh, you'll be able to find it rather easily or visit makingitinashville.com forward slash subscribe and you'll see it as a link there. And so uh, one more time, we want to give some love and appreciation and thanks to our podcast sponsor, Range Urgent Care. Again, Range is doing things so differently than we've seen anywhere else with regards to uh, you know fast healthcare services. Uh, they are truly innovating in a space. So no longer would you wait in a waiting room for a unclear amount of time. You use their website, you book a slot, you show up when you say that you were going to, they serve you when they said they were going to, you know exactly how much you're gonna pay ahead of time, or you can subscribe. I have subscribed, and if you are interested in learning more about Range Urgent Care, go to makingitinashville.com forward slash range. We have all sorts of information about the special offer that they are providing to just this making it an Asheville community. You get a free month of a year's subscription. And that is, I mean, that's a real great value, especially if you are like me and a hair injury prone. So thank you once again, Range Urgent Care for being our season four sponsor. We're so thankful. And we'd also like to thank uh, ourselves. <laughs> that sounds so weird. But um, Making It Creative is our marketing agency. And that really is a big part of why this podcast even is able to exist. Um, we offer meaningful marketing solutions that we hope businesses really identify that one marketing lever that they can pull that's going to have the biggest impact. Um, and so again, it wouldn't we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Making It Creative. Uh, so visit makingitcreative.com to learn more. Perfect. And the last thing we'll say, the way that we always leave this podcast is that if there is someone in Asheville that you think we should have on the show, uh, please let us know the way to do that is to visit makingitinashville.com forward slash podcast. We have a very simple nomination process. Let us know who in town you would love to have us interview. It can be you. It can be someone else. Um, but we are always open to connecting to new people. And as our one-year anniversary has just come and gone, we announced a winner of a small uh, little birthday giveaway that we were running Um Sarah, you want to tell a little bit, I know it's after the fact, but you want to tell us a little bit about what we were planning with the one-year giveaway? 
Yeah. So uh, for our first year of making it in Nashville, uh, we put together a package which includes a one-on-one marketing, free one-on-one marketing uh, consultation with a local business here in town. Um, They get to be a guest on our podcast as well or nominate someone of their choice. Uh, We have our new t-shirt that we are giving away to this one lucky winner, the first person to get this t-shirt. Um, it's called Doing Doing Okay-ish in Asheville. We'll be launching that soon. And they get to delicious homemade chocolate cookies made by yours truly because no birthday is a birthday without cake or cookies. Um, and so congratulations to John Hornsby Creative. He was the winner of our birthday giveaway. Um, we will be connecting with him this week and I'm sure you'll hear more about him soon. Perfect. Episode 54, week 54. Sarah, we did it. Listener, thank you for making it all the way back here into the cheap seats of episode 54. It is greatly appreciated, and we look forward to talking with you next week. Do good, be good. Sarah, high five. High five.